You are now listening to the Conversationalist Podcast. Alright, hey guys, thanks for listening to the Conversationalist Podcast. Um, I'm Jesse, I'm here with Amanda. Hi. And uh, we're going to talk about um, Silicon Valley Comic Con um, Day 2, which was uh, Saturday. And uh, there's actually a lot to cover um, in our show notes. Um, so we'll just kind of uh, explain um, some of the topics uh, uh, for today. Um, the first one will be uh, from fandom to figures uh, with Loot Crate. Um, we'll be talking about um, the opening uh, ceremony with Steve Wozniak. Um, a spotlight on... Jeremy Renner, including the Q&A, uh, Spotlight with uh, Nathan Fillion, and we'll also be talking about uh, the founder Fireside with Palmer Luckey, um, the founder of Oculus and Steve Wozniak. Um, uh, another panel with uh, Tim and Blur Studios tips on winning the Deadpool. Um, a panel and screening of I Am Not a Serial Killer. Um, so that's uh, everything we have on the agenda. Um, now for the main topic um, for Saturday, we'll be talking about um, the uh, general admission uh, VIP um, situation and um, the uh, RFID scanning uh, in and out of... Um, of the uh, convention floor room. So, um, to start, um, we went to um, from fandoms to figures with uh, Loot Crate um, for the first panel of our day on Saturday. Um, and it just so happened that Loot Crate was uh, doing a giveaway for everyone that managed to uh, make it into the panel, which I had no idea. I guess Amanda... Um, was aware of that. I had no fucking clue. It was on the schedule. See, she was like our schedule person. <laughs> I was kind of like, what are we doing next? And she's like, oh, well, there's this and this and this and this. What do you want to do? And I'm like, well, that sounds cool. And so of all the things, like, Loot Crate sounded the coolest. And, I mean, she likes Loot Crate. And we've got it a couple of times. We're not, like, permanent subscribers or anything. So uh, we thought it'd be cool to go to the Loot Crate panel. And then it turns out that there was a giveaway. Um, we did manage to get in. And... Um, they gave every single one of us a uh, Deadpool figure, okay. which was super cool. That Deadpool figure was fucking neat. Um, and so um, during the panel, um, they kind of were explaining like what, like what goes in to uh, making the figures um, that they produce um, for the loot crate boxes, including a lot of the design and detail. Um, that they go into when they're making like the interiors of the boxes um, and that kind of thing and so like a lot of quality control stuff um, but they did go into a great amount of detail with um, the artists that actually created that particular Deadpool figure for everyone um, including the process of like how they you know like the concept art um, now the artist that did this particular figure um, they called him Hawk and um he brought up um on his uh, photoshop editor a lot of the designs that he had done before they finally went with uh the deadpool action sequence of our figure now our figure it looks like deadpool's like being blown off a roof or something there's like an explosion behind him he's like flying forward his chest's out his legs are back He's got the swords in his hand, and he's just, like, getting blown forward. Um, that's that's what our figure looked like. Um, but um, Hawk had explained that they'd actually gone through a couple of different drawings. And so he said that the first one that he made was Deadpool falling out of the clouds with an umbrella. And he was just like, you know, it's not what Deadpool is. You know, Deadpool's not this cutesy little, you know, angel falling from the sky with an umbrella. Silly, 
but not quite Deadpool. And so um, he did another uh, did another uh, sketch of Deadpool basically like riding like a big ass like nuclear bomb like falling from the sky. And although that one did look super cool, like basically like he was like riding a bull or something. Yeah, it was cute. It looked really neat. They were basically like, yeah, the studio is never going to go for this. They're they're not going to go for Deadpool riding a huge bomb. Um, so they kind of had to keep throwing out the concepts. And one of them was, uh, you know, big, tall, lanky-ass Deadpool riding what looked like a child's tricycle, which looked pretty funny. Um... But I think the 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 coolest one of all of them was there was one where there's like a three panel strip that looks like a look like a like a comic sequence, and Deadpool's head is like smashed through the middle of the strip to kind of represent like the fourth dimension that Deadpool is, you know. Um, and so like his his face is coming right through the comic. I thought that one was really neat. That was my favorite. That was my favorite. I think that one would have been like totally cool. Um, they mentioned that there's a possibility that some of these other ones might get developed. So, I mean, maybe we'll end up seeing that one in the future. You know, Deadpool with his head through the comic strip. Um, but uh, they're basically uh, talking about like you know, the different kinds of material that they use um, when they're making um, the sculptures and... Uh, you know the the concept art like that goes into like the carving of it um you know like it gets painted so that they can like show what it's going to look like before it goes through like a final approval process and you know then a cast is made and then like you know different materials are used for this or that because like with this particular figure you know he's getting like blown forward so they wanted the smoke to you know or like the ex they wanted having like an explosion type look so the the plastic that's used is actually like a transparent material so like if you were actually to put a light underneath the figure um what looks like clouds behind him actually well, it actually looks like you know full-on freaking explosion um is really neat uh they went into a lot of detail and um i mean i wasn't necessarily taking notes um for the panel but they basically hit it home that you know although there's probably a lot of other places that try to do what Loot Crate does. I think what they're trying to explain is that Loot Crate sets themselves apart by having high standards, a high level of quality control, um, a great amount of detail that uh, goes into the work that they do, and that they're constantly trying, they're striving to, to do better. Um, I mean, I know that there's like specialized Loot Crate boxes that they do ones for anime um there's another one i don't remember which one there's anime there's gaming they have loot pets which is for dogs not for cats sadly because that's <laughs> what we have and um then they also have level up which is the three clothing only options that you can do one of them's a wearable so you don't know what you're going to get one's just a t-shirt and then Oh, actually, there's four, because uh, then they have socks. One that's just socks, and then one that's um, ladies' accessories. And so, obviously, Amanda knows more about Loot Crate than I do, because I didn't know that Loot Crate had those offerings. Um, she's actually got me Loot Crate before, and they, they, I mean, they do have fantastic stuff that comes. I mean, one of the favorite things I got was um, a uh, black, uh, a black T-shirt that was like Deadpool, but it was actually the Kool-Aid man that looked like Deadpool. Um, that shirt was really cool. And I've, I've had it for probably like well over a year now, probably close to two years now. And, uh, at least love that shirt. Wear the shit out of it. So, um, you know, while they're talking about the figure, they do, um, mention and start going into a little bit of detail about, um, another type of loot crate, which they're calling loot crate DX. And at the time, they were explaining that they basically are um, wanting to offer this with a higher price point because they want to produce, like, larger, more complicated, um, you know, figures of a higher quality level. Um, like, they explain, like, slightly larger figures, right? Like, 10 inches? Yeah, it, it's larger figures and supposed to be better quality 
I want to say better quality, but that's kind of basically what it is, a better quality of clothing into their crate. So it's going to be a little more expensive right now because um, you can start signing up now. So a one month with shipping and everything in the U.S. is um, $49.99, so round it out to a nice $50 a month. Um, and then, you know, it just goes from there depending on how many months you want to buy at a time. Right. And and so at the time when we did the panel, they were kind of like, oh, you know, well, there's a countdown to, you know, Monday. And then Monday there's going to be like a countdown to like, you know, when it's actually going to be released. But you can start like, you know, pre-ordering them now. And then like, you know, I mean, what they were explaining is like you want to get on top of it and actually like sign up if you haven't already. Because things like the anime sets and stuff, like, they're basically, like, always sold out because people have basically, like, they've already signed up for, like, a year of it, and they only offer so many, so once they're gone, they're gone. And, uh, so, I mean, if you have an interest in getting some, like, you know, really nice, uh, you know, more high-quality figures that just, you know, go beyond just, like, your basic, like, pose statue, you know, but might actually be, like, some level of, like, action figure or whatever then um, this Loot Crate DX box might be something that you want to take a look at. It is kind of steep, though, 50 bucks a month. I mean, if you're talking about signing up for a year, you know, hopefully there's, like, okay, if you sign up for a year, it's, like, 500 or something instead of 6 Uh But, uh, you know. Uh, I just had it, too. Oh, you did? Stupid phone. Yeah, so... Um, Let me see. I mean, I think the concept is cool, you know, that they're actually... I mean, they're, they're trying to improve. They're trying to, you know, offer... I mean, because everybody's going to want something different. And so I think that, you know, them them going in that direction, that there's going to be plenty of people that have an interest for, you know, those higher level of figurines. And, you know, all these figurines that they're offering, they're going to be, like, limited in quantity, like, you know, special releases that you're not going to see. Um, so I think, I think it's a good idea. I mean, maybe if something... Like, if there's a theme that looks cool, I might try to jump in on one. I mean, obviously, I won't be able to if they all sell out and, um, you know, you're not able to buy, like, single boxes. But uh, if a theme looks good and um, they're not completely sold out, you know, I might try to get one just to see what they're like. I just, uh, I don't have the money personally to, like, say, subscribe for, like, a six month of, like, $50 a month or well, a year or whatever. Months. Six months is two eighty seven ninety four. And a 12-month plan is five sixty three eighty eight, because they do give you a little bit of a price break if you order more than a box at a time. Because the three month is one forty six ninety seven. Yeah, so that's that's not cheap. So hopefully you're getting some really cool shit in that box. Um. And uh, so that was basically it. Um, at the time, like they didn't give us a price, you know. But you know, being that. Uh, we're recording on a Tuesday night, you know, now we know what, uh, what the box was, box was costing. I think what it was is they were actually hoping that people would go to their website, drive traffic to their website so that, you know, you're actually like following the website and looking at all this other stuff to get the information like directly from them again, to drive traffic to their site because they wouldn't tell anybody at the panel, like what the price point was going to be on the Loot Crate DX box, which I know that they already knew. They just didn't want to tell anyone. So, um, after we, uh, went to that panel, um, we went upstairs for the opening ceremony, um, with Steve Wozniak and, uh, while, while he was basically explaining, you know, his aim for why he wanted to do, you know, a convention here up North is basically because Steve Wozniak was born in San Jose. He grew up in the area. I mean, he lives in Gilroy, um, you know, and so, there's a lot of technology there, you know, people in the Bay, you know, you know, he's explaining that they, you know, want their own convention. And I think, you know, without mentioning it, it's probably in some reference to WonderCon and, uh, you know, that they wanted to have their own convention too. So, you know, he made some calls and figured that, uh, you know, they would go ahead and, you know, have his, you know, bring a convention to um, his hometown, uh, San Jose. And so, um, you know, and he was explaining that, like, that the intent of his convention was, you know, where technology and sci-fi meet together and how, 
you know the how, how the um science fiction is kind of caught or technology is actually kind of caught up to science fiction and uh you know he really tried to you know slam home um that fact um you know he really wanted to not just make it not just a comic book convention not just about pop not about pop culture but to highlight the sciences and how the sciences are helping develop um you know games and things like that as you know we go further into the future and so um while he's talking about that madame tucson's was there because Tuso. Tuso? Is that you saying? Yeah. Why does it look like Tucson's in, man? Because that's not how you spell it. I'm not French. It's like T O U S A N D. Is it something like that? Yeah, whatever. Madame Tuso, Madame Tucson. Tomato, tomato. They were doing a reveal. <laughs> <coughs> they were doing a reveal, and uh, so they revealed it. They actually made a wax. Uh, they made a wax statue of uh, Steve Wozniak, and. You know, when they pull down the curtain, he's standing right next to it in the exact same pose. And, you know, people were like, who is it? It's which creepy. Which one's Steve? Which one's him? Which one's the Waz? And, uh, you know, it was the one to the left. He was the fake one. Or, the you know, the real one was uh, to the left and the fake one was to the right. Um, so that was neat. And so um, they were saying that the um, Steve Wozniak uh, statue is going to be on display in uh, Madame Tussauds in San Francisco. Yes. And uh, so, you know, they're basically saying, oh, if you want to see it, it's going to be on the on the floor later this evening, and then they were going to move it to um, their San Francisco location if anybody else wanted to see it. Um, and then finally, he'd explain that uh, there is going to be a sister convention to Silicon Valley Comic Con, but unless you have a lot of money to buy a plane ticket... <laughs> You're probably not going to go to Tokyo for it, because that's where it is. It's in Tokyo, Japan, and uh, the presenter that came out to kind of announce it um, didn't speak English at all. Not she really. She tried her damnedest <laughs> to, uh, you know, formulate one or two sentences. Um, she was able to say that she is a senator from Japan, and uh, you know, and thank Steve Wozniak. Um, but that's basically all she was able to say. I don't recall her name. I didn't have time to write it down because they, they displayed her name. Or they, they said her name, but I, I wasn't able to, to jot it down in time. But, um, I mean, that's cool. Just that, I mean, that's... Yeah, that's neat. I mean, that's neat that's happening. I, I wish we had means to, uh, you know, fly to Tokyo for something like that. Shit, I just want to go to Tokyo. Like, set aside that there's a convention taking place there. Um... I would love to go there. I can imagine that would be fucking amazing. I mean, all the anime that Japan has there, uh, they start, I mean, they basically started Airsoft. Um, you know, Nintendo's, you know, base there. Sony. I, I mean, I think there's a hell of a lot of shit to do there, and I really think that there would be some really cool stuff um, at the Tokyo branch. But that probably won't happen anytime soon. Um, so after the opening ceremony, um, with, uh, Steve Wozniak took place, um, there was the spotlight on Jeremy Renner. And, I mean, did you want to go into any detail about that? Um, well, I mean, he was, he was funny. Um, you know, he jumped right into it. He didn't even, you know, try and... Like, have some kind of little monologue or anything to start the show off. He was just like, okay, question, <laughs> bam, do it, go. Yeah, he really didn't. He was just like, all right, Q&A, let's do this. And there was already big lines on each side ready to ask him questions. Um, you know, I mean, and he's asking questions for basically a full hour. One of the questions that stood out for me, and I had to write it in the show notes, I thought it was hilarious, um, was a kid <laughs> walks up and he says, um... You know, it seemed to me like your character was basically in love with Black Widow in the first Avengers. And, you know, Jeremy Renner's like, uh-huh. And he's like, well, but then in the Age of Ultron, Hawkeye has a family. He's all, that's kind of confusing for a young audience. What's happening there? And, 
I think after uh, Jeremy Renner was done laughing, like he was basically like, "That's confusing to me too. Like I don't know what's going on there either." You know, he didn't really yeah. know how to adequately explain that one. How you go from like, you know, Black Widow love interest to, I mean, it's not like it was like some sort of love triangle situation in Age of Ultron, but the kid did bring up a good point, right? It seemed like they were kind of like love interests, like. He really wants to date Black Widow. Like, Black Widow has a thing for him. They look out for each other. They go back a long way. I'm kind of wondering, like, where it was. Had they already seen each other or been seeing each other at some point, And now they were just kind of like platonic friends after a relationship. But then you fast forward Age of Ultron. And he's got a family out in the country with kids. And you're like, huh. <laughs> you know? But, uh... I mean, they are... I mean... She is a spy. Black Widow is a spy. And, you know, they'd done missions together. So, I mean, they had to have gotten pretty close, you know, pretending to be like some sort of couple or whatever. You know, right. so I guess at that point, it's not really cheating. He's just doing his job, you know, as a uh, Hawkeye. You know, he wants to go home to his wife and kids. He loves his wife and kids so much that he's willing to do whatever it takes with Black Widow to make sure he gets home safe. And I think yeah. that is what makes a really good hero. However you justify that. Sacrifice. No. <laughs> what? I mean, you wouldn't, I mean, if, if, if Hawkeye was your husband, you want, you wouldn't want him to do what he had to do to make it home safe? Even if it meant, like, you know, getting close with Black Widow? Getting close. <laughs> Anyways, um... He uh he did meant he did a he did a talk a little bit about himself you know like in between the questions and one of the funny things was I mean I guess it's not really funny if you're Jeremy Renner but he said I think he was at, like a truck truck stop and he's trying to take a leak and there's some dude that's like standing next to him that's trying to take a fucking selfie with him and I'm like I guess that's the kind of shit that you can expect when you're fucking famous that people are gonna try to pull shit like that and he's just like really dude like I'm trying to piss and. You know, this guy's over here trying to take a photo of Jeremy Renner taking a fucking leak. That just, uh... Yeah, that's gross. That's terrible. I mean, okay. Me and a couple of buddies, one time we went to this airsoft event in Santa Clarita. And we went to go pick up uh, my buddy's uh, son from the LAX. And so we go down to LAX. And when we're at, the, when we're at LAX and we're there waiting for his son to uh, come to the baggage claim to get his uh, suitcase and stuff, Charles Barkley is right there. And I'm thinking, like, oh, man, you know, fucking Charles Barkley, got to meet him. You know, but, like, he's obviously wearing beat-down clothes. He's probably there to pick up somebody, too. You know, and there were other people that were around, obviously, that noticed who Charles Barkley is. I mean, he's not he's not that guy where you kind of have to, like, do a double take on, is that Charles Barkley? Charles Barkley looks like fucking Charles Barkley. Like, there's no mistaking that dude. And so, you know, there was part of us that wanted to go up to him and be like, Hey, you know, photos. You know, but we respected that he was there probably, like, trying to meet family or something like that. And nobody messed with him. So I can't even imagine, like, what was going through some guy's head being in a truck stop, a truck stop bathroom with his selfie camera on or a selfie camera mode on standing next to a urinal with Jeremy Renner trying to take a fucking selfie with him while Jeremy's holding his dingling. It just... I don't know. People I mean, People don't I, think anymore. Yeah, I mean, okay... From from the mindset of a fan, I can see where somebody be like, this is probably the only time I'm ever going to see Jeremy Renner in my whole life. I got to take a photo. And so they're like, they don't even, not, they're not even thinking about, oh yeah, this is probably like one of the most inappropriate times that I can ever take a photograph ever. They're just thinking, this is the only time I'm ever going to get to meet Jeremy Renner. So, you know, screw whatever the... um. You know, screw whatever it looks like or, no. you know, however inappropriate it is. I think any reasonable person should understand that if you're in a bathroom, you can't take a picture like that's just I think that's where you lose a lot of people reasonable. A lot of people are not reasonable these days. I mean, obviously, Jeremy wouldn't have a story if the person was reasonable or if most people were reasonable with some of the shit that they do. But all aside, so. Then, you know, I mean, speaking of, like, I mean, maybe it's not a stupid question, but probably a question, like, gets asked a lot. I mean, not not, not specifically with Jeremy Renner. It's just, I think, just, like, who do you like more, this or this? 
somebody says, hey, who do you want to be? Wolverine or Deadpool? And, I mean, if it was me personally, Wolverine's super cool. He's got the super healing. He's got the adamantium claws, like the indestructible bones. Um, you know, it's basically, you know, he can't die and is actually still handsome with his, uh, you know, super healing and stuff like that. But, um, you know, then you have Deadpool, which is just generally cool and has all the same abilities and his healing ability I think goes even further than Wolverine's does um his 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 healing actually exceeds Wolverine's but um Jeremy Renner says that he would want to be Wolverine and at first I was kind of like what but you know I think just if you're choosing if you're choosing those two characters like on the total circumstances I'd probably pick Wolverine too reason being is because although Deadpool has like cool abilities cool skills obviously has like a way you know stronger ability to heal and all that stuff he does look pretty terrible <laughs> all the burns and stuff all over his body <laughs> yeah. um, I still want to look normal so I'd probably go Wolverine too. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was a lady that came up and had basically said that uh, her son had recently joined the military, and that she had done so because, or that he had done so because he'd actually um, watched the Hurt Locker and basically became inspired to join. And um, so she was basically asking him like why he had gone to um, like Iraq or maybe it was Afghanistan, for like a whole year, um, like basically like embedded with a unit. Um, it seemed like he was a little uncomfortable answering that question. He really wouldn't say whether or not he was embedded the whole time or whether he was only out a little bit, you know, with the uh, units. Um, he made it clear that even though like he was out with some of these EOD groups, that he's not EOD, <laughs> That just because he was out there with them, like, you know, he is not one of those guys. Um, and doesn't try to take anything away from them. But, uh, it just seemed like in general, like, he really didn't want to talk about his experiences out there. I don't know if he saw anything out there that he just feels uncomfortable talking about. Like, maybe, like, a unit came under fire or something like that while he happened to be present. I mean, that's speculating a shit ton. And I'm not saying that any of that was implied. Um, it just seemed like he was really... He really did not want to talk about that specifically. And I think that he just kind of was really quiet about it. And so, like, she would kind of push, like, well, he really joined because of you. He joined because of you. And I think she, he was, she was fishing for something from him until finally he was just kind of like, well, tell your son thank you for his service, you know. I think he got quiet because she got weird. She was just so emotional talking about how the hurt locker was the family's favorite movie and everyone was in the military and they're all inspired by him and she called him a hero like 10 times and she asked about his training and he even said that he wasn't when he would go to train he wasn't staying with them the whole time he'd go for a couple weeks and then fly out and then come back and do some more training a couple weeks later because she was asking him, like, oh, well, how's it like, you know, you in basic training? Or how's it like in this kind of training? And he was like, I wasn't there the whole time. And she was still just standing there, like, with such an Like his answer wasn't good enough, right? Yeah, like she was expecting more. So I, that's why I think he got quiet about it. Because she just, she wouldn't leave. She was looking for something that wasn't, wasn't there. giving her. Because he couldn't give it to her. And she was just. She made herself look like an ass. That's what I thought. Yeah, there was a certain air of uncomfortableness with her her line of questioning before, um, you know, finally she walked off. And then uh, there was another person that was like, you know, oh, you know, in this other convention I talked to, you know, the guy that plays Arrow. And somebody asked if, uh, you know, Arrow, you know, could beat Hawkeye. And... So I was just giving you the chance for you to kind of reply to, you know, what he had said. And <laughs> Jeremy Renner is kind of like, well, I think it's cool that, like, his fictional character can beat my fictional character. But, 
really didn't seem to, you know, care too much about, like, I don't know, like, just playfully going along with, you know, whether or not his character was better. He was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Uh, I mean, one of the coolest things, I think, was that at one point there were a couple of kids that had come up and they wanted to get a photo with him. And, you know, he had done, I think, he had done some photo ops um, throughout the weekend along with uh, some other celebrities. And uh, so I just assumed that, like, if somebody were to come up and be like, hey, can I get a selfie with you? They were going to be like, uh, yeah, you can pay for one, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, because everybody had the opportunity to do so. Um, but he actually accommodated him. He said, yeah, come up here on stage. You know, obviously I'm still answering Q&A, so we're going to take a photo while I'm still answering questions. And so I thought that was really cool that he accommodated those kids um, because he definitely didn't have to. So um, that I was cool. I think it's because they were from a newspaper. If they hadn't mentioned they were from their school's newspaper, I think the story might have been a little different. Terrible. You think he was doing it just for school paper publicity? No, I think he was doing it for Comic-Con. If those kids said, hey, I'm from the paper, and he's like, nah, kick rocks. There were how many people in that hall that just saw him turn down four kids that were just trying to do something good? Yeah, I, so, yeah, yeah, I guess I can see your point there. Um, So then, like, right toward, I mean, right, that was right toward the end, and, uh, um, you know, that panel ended, and then um, in the same, in the same room, Right after uh, a spotlight on Jeremy Renner was a spotlight on Nathan Fillion. And um, we've been to a couple of panels with Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion's always funny. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess there wasn't anything that particularly stuck out with Nathan Fillion's panel. I think it was funny. I think he, you know, answered, answered as many questions as he could. Um, I mean, you know, of course, there's no Nathan Fillion panel... Um, that's complete without somebody fucking proposing marriage, you know? Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, another, uh, another woman like, Oh my god, you're so handsome, I'll keep you warm up there since you're chilly. Oh, by the way, will you marry me? You know, uh, shameless. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess when we mentioned Nathan Fillion, somebody's probably like, Oh, you know, what, what, what did they have to say about Nathan Fillion? We had a shitload to say about Jeremy Renner, and I think mainly it was because... With Jeremy Renner, you know, we'd never done a panel with him or met him or anything. And, uh, you know, we've seen and done a bunch of stuff with uh, Nathan Fillion. He's like a mainstay of pretty much every convention. <laughs> Basically. So, um, now, after uh, Nathan Fillion's panel, we uh, went briefly to another panel which was the founder fireside with palmer lucky who's the founder of oculus and steve wozniak and um you know basically they were just talking about um oculus rift and like how it's going to change games um you know and they talked about how right now virtual reality surpasses um alternate reality for now um but at some point like ar is going to catch up um, you know, but, uh, right now VR is doing really well and, uh, you know, and, and he did mention, and this is Saturday that Oculus Rift is going to get released 10 days from Saturday. So, I mean, if you do the math, you know, 10 days from Saturday, that's this coming Monday. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, cause Saturday to Saturday, seven days and one, two, three. So it'd be next Monday is supposed to, uh supposed to be released um tuesday. i don't or tuesday or maybe next tuesday okay yeah so seven Sunday eight, yeah that is tuesday well it makes sense it makes sense because tuesday is a typical release date for video games and stuff so the um, oculus rift is going to get released now he didn't mention a price point i didn't bother to look up on google whether there's any sort of uh price point that's already out there um, but I imagine it's going to be pretty expensive because, I mean, having seen the platform for um, the Oculus Rift system and seeing how people are playing, you know, the first-person shooters on that uh, um, on that surface where people are basically, like, moving forward, like, running forward, um, it just seems like just with all the hardware that's necessary to play that game, like, to play with Oculus Rift, that it's going to 
I mean, it's going to cost a ton. I mean, I can imagine, I mean, when the PlayStation 4 first came out, just buying a PS4 with a video game and the camera and an extra controller and a charger and a headset, I mean, that was like... 600. Over 600 bucks. And so, okay, the Oculus system is going to cost... 600. $600. Um, it's pretty expensive, but you know what? If you want to be on the first boat that leaves for virtual reality... Um, this is probably the one you're going to want to take. I mean, because, and what they'd explained in the, um, in the panel was that, you know, a long time ago, like in the early nineties, when people mentioned virtual reality and there was VR stuff that was coming out, I think people had a certain level of expectation from what VR was. And then when they tried VR, it's like, this is what VR is. This is a ripoff. This sucks. But it's because technology wasn't there yet. Well, technology's here now. And I mean, VR looks amazing, you know, by comparison. And, um, you know, having actually tested out like some levels of VR, um, you know, I'm really excited for what where VR is going to take the future of video games. So, you know, uh, a new VR system like Oculus Rift for $600, I mean, the PS4 platform when it first came out was about that expensive. So, you know, I can't say that I'm not going to buy it. I'm probably not going to buy it when it releases. But I see myself maybe getting it in six months when it may or may not drop. Or once there's been some bugs that are worked out, I feel a little reluctant like buying the first gen of stuff. You know, Xbox One users, I'm looking at you. Um, I didn't have any problems with buying the very first PS4, but I heard a lot of horror stories about the early adopters of the Xbox One. So, with that said, I'll probably wait a little bit, but I am really excited for Oculus Rift. Um, now, right after that, um, we went downstairs, and this was uh, Tim and Blur Studios' tips on winning um, the Deadpool, which was a panel basically you know, talking about the people that created the Deadpool movie. And, um, what was funny about that is that Amanda has a press badge, um, because, um, she does a blog that's, um, unrelated to, um, the podcast. She does her own personal blog and, uh, she's been doing it long enough that she was able to get a press pass for the event. And so, um, because she's press, she is able to, you know, get into the room before everybody else and doesn't have to wait in a line, but... I don't have a press pass. <laughs> I had to pay for my ticket, so she got to go ahead um, while I hung while I hung behind. And so uh, there was a huge line for uh, for the Deadpool panel. And um, you know, luckily I was able to get in and even get a seat um, next to her. But before we were let in, I was hanging out in the line, and I noticed some people that were kind of not right by the door, but they were kind of lingering like within the area. And um, I noticed that they had different uh, badges on that basically like was like executive this or that. And normally like the people that had those specific badges were like panelist people or, you know, people that were invited, um, you know, for, pa you know, other panels and stuff. And so, you know, like I would say VIP, but VIPs are just people that paid a bunch of money to fucking be there. Um, so like they said executive something or other on them. It's and special guest. And so I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, cool. And I'm like, I think these guys are from the panel. And then I notice Tim Miller, and I was like, holy shit, that, 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 I'm pretty sure that's Tim Miller. And so I had to pull up a photo of Tim Miller just to be sure because I'm like, and I'm like, holy crap, that's Tim Miller. And he's just standing right there, like, less than 10 feet from me. And so finally when I was like, okay, I think I'm going to go over there and, like, you know, ask if I can get a photograph with him just because, holy crap, Tim Miller... His, you know, was the director of, like, one of the most awesome Marvel movies ever. Um, you know, I'm like, okay, well, if I go and talk to him, maybe he'll let me take a photo with him. But if I do, then everybody else is going to notice that I'm taking a photo with this guy, and he's probably going to get Rat Pack. So part of me doesn't want to talk to him because I don't want to fuck him over, you know, because he wasn't able to get into the, the panel room yet because the other panel had kind of overrun its time. And so, you know, finally... When I, it, when I noticed that uh, at some point they were going to move him um, into the room, I tried to go over there real quick and see if I can talk to him right before they were moving him into the room because they had just cleared the panel room, but they pulled him in. 
before I could uh, before I could meet him. And I was like, fuck. So I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to get to meet Tim Miller. This sucks. But anyways, get into the panel, sit next to Amanda, and, you know, they kind of go into, you know, basically everything related to the movie. Um, you know, I mean, what was your favorite part of that panel? Like, learning from, uh, like, their experiences with uh, the development of the movie? Um... I didn't really have a favorite part. I thought the whole thing in general was interesting. I mean, basically just hearing them, you know, interact with one another was funny. They're funny guys. I think one of the coolest things for me was that uh, they had, um, like, one of the, uh, I guess the cowl, you know, the, the mask of Deadpool's on, like, a bust. And it was actually one of the... Um, cows that um, that Ryan Reynolds actually wore and uh, like fun fact is that the um, black areas around Deadpool's eyes they actually pop off they're magnetic so when Ryan Reynolds had the mask on he could actually just pop off those eye holes so that he could you know breathe pretty good without having to take the entire mask off constantly which was pretty neat um, eventually they took that bust and somebody started walking it around, um, in the, uh, walkways so that people could take a photo or look at it. And, um, so I got actually a, a pretty sweet photo, um, you know, of the mask of them walking it around, um, as they walked past our seats. And, um, I actually posted that photo, um, on, uh, our Facebook page, um, at facebook.com uh, slash conversationalist. And so, um, I took a photo of the bust and what was cool is, you know, they actually, um, were explaining that, uh, you know, the movie had basically been shelved for a while and that even though he had been chosen to be the director, <laughs> you know, he wasn't sure if the movie was ever going to get made. Um, and that initially when he and the studio were approached that they were actually approached, um, to make a full CGI Deadpool movie. And um, so they had done a sequence, which is, I think, the sequence that everybody's familiar with. It's the uh, um, the car scene that was leaked, where Deadpool jumps off the bridge and, like, starts fighting all of these, uh, all these henchmen in these cars. Um, they did a proof-of-concept sequence that was all CGI, basically to show that they had the ability to do this. And he was like, you know, the Tim Miller's like, keep in mind, you know, this is like seven years ago, you know, so the CGI was, you know, it looked more impressive back then than it does now. Um, you know, but basically we were just showing that we had the ability to do this. And, uh, you know, that it did end up getting shelved. And uh, what ended up happening was somebody, they were, you know, playing... I mean, personally, I think that they were making up or pretending like they have no idea who leaked the damn uh, trailer. But I think, honestly, I think even though they do, you know, even if they do know who leaked it, they can't really say who did or didn't leak it. Because I think even though it's it's a hit, you know, somebody would probably end up getting in trouble for leaking it. So, I mean, I think that's why nobody's going to fess up to whether or not they did it or did it or not. But, uh. Um, you know, they said once that trailer got leaked and the studios saw the reaction online for everybody just basically being like, oh my god, this fucking looks so cool, when's this movie coming out, that basically they pulled it off the shelf and, um, it was decided that it wasn't going to be all CGI, that there would be some CGI in it, obviously, um, but that it was going to be a live action film and he really wanted... Ryan Reynolds, and Ryan Reynolds has already promised the role for Deadpool, um, because apparently he was told that he was going to be cast as Deadpool for a Deadpool, um, standalone movie if he played that version of Deadpool that everybody kind of hates from, um, the X-Men movies, so, uh, you know, it was kind of promised to him, but he thought that Ryan Reynolds was great for the role, Rightfully so. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. Um, and so, 
you know, the rest is history. You know, they they ran along with it and made the movie. What's funny is that uh, somebody from uh, Blur Studios had said that when they were doing, like, the title sequence, I mean, if anybody's seen Deadpool, the introduction to the movie, it's kind of like, you know, starring some hot chick, you know, and this handsome douchebag, you know, or whatever. It's not actually, like, giving names. It's just, like... It was pretty funny, and uh, so they said when they were like basically editing the movie that uh, um, one, I, god damn it, I wrote down the guy's name, but uh, when one of the guys um, from Blur Studios was basically writing this down, um, like as his own notes, like this hot chick, you know, this or that, and was basically like writing this little commentary for his own notes. Um, it, it, it was ended, just a fill-in because they needed to present something, so he just yeah they didn't have names yet. It was just a concept. Yeah, and so he's just writing down like you know what they planned to do. Well, later on, when they actually did have this cast of people, um, and they needed to like do the editing, they wanted to use his stuff. They wanted to use some of his stuff anyways because they actually thought it was really funny. They said once the writers got a hold of it, like, a few things were tweaked because it could be a little bit more funny. But they kind of ran with his idea, which wasn't really planned as an idea. It was just, you know, like I said, fill-in. Um, and so, you know, there was a lot of Q&A, uh, you know, from the panelists and for the directors. But what was funny is, like, when I'm sitting there, and I, I mean, I've been to a lot of panels, but I've never been one to ask questions. And, um... So when it was finally, you know, when they're passing the microphone around, I just got this bug. I'm like, I have to ask a fucking question. And it wasn't because, it wasn't because I was just, I just had to ask a question for the sake of asking a question to like talk to any of the panelists. It was because nobody had asked anything specifically about Deadpool 2 or um, anything related to that. And so like what I wanted to know more than anything else was who's going to be cable so um i'm raising my hand raising my hand raising my hand trying to get trying to get acknowledged to ask a question because they're passing the microphone around and uh luckily for me the guy handed me the microphone to be one of the last questions but as time was running down and um you know they still had to like show this video sequence um before they let everybody out um it looked like he was gesturing for me to hand back the mic and they were basically gonna cut me off because they didn't have any more time but i kind of looked over at him and i'm like no really it'll be real quick i promise and so they're like okay um you know does anybody have any last questions and somebody was kind of like yelling on the other side of the room like they didn't even have a mic but they're trying to get their their question answered but luckily i had the microphone so i drowned them out with my question i'm like yes 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 i'll ask a question real fast and uh, you know, everybody kind of laughed at me because I guess I sounded really eager on the on the microphone. Um, but I said, "Hey, um, you know how much how much say do you have as a director on who gets cast for um, the role? Uh, they got you know how much say do you have and who gets cast in in this movie role? And if you do have a lot of say, who do you want to play Cable um, in Deadpool two? And <laughs> he says." like i'm gonna fucking tell you you know it's like oh come on man you know it's like i mean i know it's a long time away but everybody wants to know who cable's gonna be you know but i guess they got to kind of string everybody along and make everybody guess for several more months i mean they'll probably fucking tell us who cable is at comic-con or something you know or even beyond that um but yeah he wouldn't answer that question um you know but he did say that uh he does have like a hundred percent say in like who gets cast in the movies, and that everybody who was in the movie um, was exactly who he wanted to be in the movie. That he basically had control. Um, what was funny is he said that you know the the Deadpool movie budget wasn't that big, and he thought that you know what had this movie had a bigger budget, I probably wouldn't have been allowed to direct the movie because that, that was his directorial debut i don't think he's ever directed anything before um you know and he basically indicated as much that hey you know going onto the set i don't know what the fuck i'm doing somebody thinks i'm doing something wrong tell me you know we can uh you know figure this out together but you know basically he didn't go into this thing pretending like he knew everything um you know but it was really interesting to see that 
you know, he was really open to suggestions and, like, wasn't some know-it-all. I mean, it... The movie... He did a really good job. I mean, I... I mean, if you watched the movie, you wouldn't even think, oh, yeah, this is the director's first time, this is rough, this sucks. No. Did a really good job. I mean, I'm really excited for Deadpool 2, and I can only imagine that, like, he's just gonna have, uh, you know, more offers for directing other, you know, action films and and things to come. So, uh, that was really cool. So then when the panel was over, um, he was walking out and there was somebody that was talking to him and I'm like, Hey, Tim Miller, can I get your, can I get a photo with you? And he accommodated me. I was able to, uh, snag him before enough people, um, you know, swamped him with stuff and, uh, you know, so that was cool. Yeah, I was basically like, hey, I tried to get a photo with you earlier, but I didn't want to get a photo with you because I didn't want anybody to fuck with you. And he's all, I like that. <laughs> you know, he basically, like, acknowledged that, like, me not messing with him was best because I don't think he would have liked a bunch of people running up to him. Um, so then finally, like, after that, uh, we basically stepped out and then went back into the same room for a panel and screening of I Am Not a Serial Killer. And I think you were a little bit more familiar with the book. That nope. I was? Nope. You seemed like you were. You, like, knew who he was and, like, knew that it was a book. I had no fucking idea it was a book. I just thought it was a movie. I read the schedule. You you did? You're making me think, like, I was, like, fucking retarded no. for not knowing that that was a book. Because it said it right in the schedule. I wasn't the schedule person. You were the schedule person. No, not my problem. So, um, there was a panel and screening for I'm Not a Serial Killer. And basically, they talked about the book and how they... Um, basically turn it into a screenplay. Um, it stars uh, Christopher Lloyd and Max Records. Max Records was the kid, I think, in... What was that monster movie? Where the Wild Things yeah, Are. Yeah, While the Wild Things Are. And, um, you know, basically they wanted him cast because they thought he did a good job at that movie. And then by the time that they would finally start filming the movie, he would be old enough for the role of uh, what they were hoping to do. And as it turns out, um, it pretty much, you know, came... The plan came to fruition, so to speak, because... I think the kid was like nine at the time they were wanting him for the movie, but the role was for somebody who was 15, and once they finally started shooting the movie, he's like 15, 16 now, so it uh, it worked out. And so, um, you know, they played a couple of uh, clips from the movie. Seems real dramatic, like super slow, like some of the ones they played us. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, maybe... Maybe it's going to be a good movie. I can't say one way or another. I, I don't think the trailers really did enough to to sway us one way or another to go see it. Um, but, uh, I mean, Christopher Lloyd's a good actor, so, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe it will be decent. Well, what's funny is that uh, the, um, the writer of the book, Dan Wells, he was uh, saying that, oh, you know, at some point Christopher Lloyd's going to come in and, you know, he's going to talk a little bit about the movie and I want to kind of save this trailer you know, to play, you know, while he's here so he can talk about it. Well, there's only, like, ten minutes left in the panel. And then Christopher Lloyd, like, walks in. I try to get a photo of him, and it looks like Bigfoot. It's all blurry <laughs> and shit. can barely see anything. He goes up to the panel. He goes up and then just starts talking. Starts talking about everything, right? Like, he's talking for, like, five or six minutes. Talking, 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 talking. And then, like, once he's done, he just, like, gets up. Shakes the screenwriter's hand, not the director's. Puts the mic down and then walks off. He, like, walks out. I try to get another photo of him. Again, looks like Bigfoot. I only got, you know, his head, like, sitting behind the panel table. Um, you know, but, you know, he was only present for all of ten minutes, speaking for five. Walked in, walked out. It was real quick. Like, kind of sucked, but from what I understand is that, you know, Christopher Lloyd was really busy. Had a lot of photo ops. There was a lot of panels having to do with Back to the Future with Michael J. Fox and Leah Thompson and so on. So apparently he was super, super busy and all he could do was squeeze in the 10 minutes that he was able to spare for the I'm not a serial killer panel. I mean, I guess that he knows that there's not going to be, <laughs> that movie's not going to be a big money maker. <laughs> he doesn't really have to push it that much. It's an independent film. Those are never big money makers. Yeah, so, um, so to move on to the, uh, the uh, main topic... Um, there was a, an issue that we kind of ran into and, you know, there were probably some people that kind of expected it. Um, but 
I mean, having been to WonderCon and Comic-Con, they kind of work different from regular conventions where you just pay one flat price and you get into these panels. Um, you get into the panels that you want if you wait. You wait for the panels, you get into the panels. Obviously, if you get there early enough, you get better seating. If you get into a panel that's before another panel, when this other when this other panel clears out, you can move up closer and stay in the room. You don't have to leave the room. It doesn't get cleared out. So you can sit, you know, for three panels to try to get to this one panel and have front row seats. If you're willing to, if you're willing to take that time or waste that time, rather, um, you know. But this one, you know, they basically did it like on a VIP, ultra VIP, ultra super duper VIP level, where you know, if you pay like seven hundred fifty bucks, you got this platinum one. If you paid like 650 bucks he got this gold one and if you paid like fucking 500 dollars he got this regular vip pass and uh you know and then there was just like a general admission ticket which i think for friday was like 20 bucks and then for saturday and sunday were like 50 a piece um but if you paid for all three days it was 99 dollars um you know but that didn't get you access to um, like you basically just got general admission to everything, you know, there was like a special, uh, back to the future panel that you had to pay extra for, you know, any photo op you had to pay extra for. I mean, there's a lot of conventions that work like that. So that's not a surprise to some other people. It was just a new experience for us because, you know, I mean, there's things where there's photo ops at like WonderCon or Comic Con where all you have to do is just like wait in line and, you know, they'll cut it at like 150 people. Or something, you know, but you don't have to pay extra. You're already paying a certain amount of money to be there. But, you know, it is what it is. And so, you know, the gripe that we had was when we went to the opening ceremony with Steve Wozniak, you know, we were hoping that, you know, one, that we were, because our seats were mediocre. We're basically in the center of the room, but this room is huge. And so we were hoping to move up close enough for the spotlight on Jeremy Renner so that we can get decent seats and be able to take some pretty good photos of him. Well, what we didn't know was that after the opening ceremony with Steve Wozniak, um, that they cleared the freaking room. You had to leave. Everybody had to leave. The only people that were allowed to go in were people that had VIP passes, people that paid like 500 bucks, $700. And so everybody else was fucked. And I think the thing that sucked most about it is that the way that system works is that if you want to go to a panel that's right after it, you're going to be in the back. Because yeah. if you go to one panel, there's already a line forming outside for the next panel that's going to take place in that room. But you have to leave that room. And so when there's already a panel forming, you're going to get put in the back of the line and get a shittier seat than you did before. You might be lucky enough to get the same seat, but you're constantly getting kicked out of rooms because you're not allowed to stay in the room and so i mean it almost promotes it i mean it's almost to a point where that was once or twice where we left a panel that we didn't necessarily want to leave but we knew if we didn't leave this panel that we were going to get a shitty seat for the next one and so we're like uh we're not even able to finish any of these panels we want to do because we're trying to make it into this panel to get a good seat and so i mean i thought I thought it was really annoying that, uh, you know, the, the room clearing was taking place. And I know VIPs paid a shitload of money to be able to fucking, you know, get in there or get close seats. But, you know, it's really annoying when you, as a general admission person, paid money, you show up, you're in a fucking line for like 30 or 40 minutes, and then some stupid-ass VIP shows up like a minute till... Or even, like, five minutes after, they, like, you know, like, it's already, like, behind schedule and you're still waiting in line. These fools show up, like, late and everything and, boop, get in. And you're there sitting there for 45 minutes. Like. That's what they pay for, though. That's why they spent that extra $200. Fucking $400. No, some of the other ones were cheaper. The ones that were, like, super expensive were the ones that were show-specific. I guess. Like, Back to the Future or whatever. I mean, me personally, I think that, like, the perfect balance for that is to, I, I mean, like, in the in the main in the main hall area, there's, like, a front section. 
there's like a middle section and there's a rear section. You know, the front section should be like reserved for VIP. If you're VIP and you have that pass, you don't have to wait in line, you can get in the hall. Obviously, if you're a VIP that shows up earlier, then you're going to get better seats than the rest of the VIPs. And if you show up so late that all the VIPs take up all that front room, then you're going to sit a little farther in the back. Realistically, there weren't that many VIPs that are going to take up that many seats. But basically, all they have to do is post some staff that are watching that area so that only VIPs can enter the front area. So basically what that does is open up the whole other section of the hall to general admission attendees that don't have to leave. So they can at least stay in that room and move up to closer seats. And then once they're, you know, comfortable with the fact that all the VIPs have been let in, if there's any spots that haven't been taken by VIPs, then those general admission people can move forward. That way that there's not constant amount, large amounts of room clearing and general crowding. I mean, because how many times did we stand in a, um, have to come out of one panel, go and do another, we're not necessarily all the way in the back. We're pro not even in the middle. You know, I think we're like in a pretty good spot. But the line gets so long and it starts to wrap around. And then once we start getting let into the panel, all of a sudden the back of the line become the front. I mean, how many times did that happen? Yeah, they had really poor line management skills. I mean, they didn't have delineators. They didn't have like tape on the floor. You know, like delineating like, you know, a specific line. Hey, there weren't a lot of staff. Like, they were actually, like, watching lines to well, make sure there wasn't crowding. Well, people to line up in between the tape. They didn't care where you were. Right. You know, so, like, it, let's say you were in a... Let's say you were in a good spot, like, in a general line. That didn't matter because they would just want you crammed into a blob. You know, between a wall and some tape. So, all of a sudden, you might you might have had, like, say, 50 people in front of you. But because of that blob, you now have, like, 100 people in front of you. It, it was just, uh not very well thought out and i think it kind of you know set a lot of people back in as far as like how good a seating they could find yeah you know it really didn't help that you know all that stuff uh wasn't taken into consideration it seemed like some of the organization when it came to like line management and that kind of thing was uh an afterthought um so i mean i think that's a possible solution for next year whether or not something like that actually happens I mean, may or may not. Um, you know, I think ultimately they're just concerned with making VIPs happy and taking their money. Um, and they are about making, like, general admission people um, happy. I mean, personally, I think that's a good equilibrium is to have that whole front offered for VIPs only and to leave the other stuff for general admission only. Um, you know, there was only one other thing that I thought was just kind of annoying. And initially it was... Uh, yeah, these little RFID scanners. I mean, basically they're like like fair bracelets. You know, they put them on your wrist, and they have a little RFID scanner thing. So you scan your way in, and uh, you know there were people leaving that had to like scan their way out, and then some people, um, uh, you know, didn't have to scan out. And later, I was told that there was. A possibility that they were actually just keeping track of like who was going in and out like for like file more possibly fire marshal purposes just to make sure that there weren't too many people in the main hall was that what you got yeah and there's capacity limits i think they're just tracking that i mean my thought my thought is too my thought on that was just like well you know where they had the scanning in and scanning out there was that main hall, and then there was the main floor. Like, why would you sell over capacity more tickets than, like, the main hall and a, and a main hall floor can accommodate? Like, why would you do that? Like, it wouldn't, it doesn't make sense that, like, if capacity for that main section is fucking. Well, they could have been twenty thousand people. Their own statistical purposes. But, I mean, you're, they're already keeping track of people going in. Why would they need to keep track of people going out for for statistical purposes? Like, 
It just doesn't make sense. I, I don't know. I thought it was annoying because what it did Like I is, said, I think it was more for a head count than anything else because at one point they had the lines going and held up, so... Well, I... It was just generally annoying, and I think most of it was because they only had about five or six kiosks that are letting people in, and there's only about, like, four that are open for people going out. Four, you know, probably, you know, there wasn't as many for people going out. There was a lot more for people going in. And so it was, like, an L shape, kind of an inconvenient spot. And so people were coming up stairways, and people were trying to get out. And so they, you know, you can only enter one way, and you can only exit one way, and it kind of created a kind of... um. I don't know what you'd want to call it, but like basically you had a huge blob of people trying to walk one way and a huge blob of people trying to walk another way. And so everybody's kind of cramming into each other. And at the same time, you have other people trying to, you know, scan their bracelets in and scan their bracelets out. And as easy as that sounds, you know, to scan a fucking bracelet, just to do a little tap and keep walking. How many idiots had to like keep slapping their wrist against the fucking thing because they couldn't get it to scan? Too many. Like way too many. It's like, dude. Take the fat part, put it on your wrist, and fucking tap your wrist. There were so many people that, like, didn't understand that the fucking big part that has Silicon Valley Comic Con printed on it was the scanner part. And so they were, like, tapping, like, every part of the fucking wristband on that thing. And, you know, not not scanning. So they're holding up a line, and it just seemed generally annoying. But, again... They're trying to separate themselves from the other conventions by showing that they're incorporating technology. So they're using, you know, these little fucking RFID scanner panels with these special bracelets to set themselves apart from other conventions that just use, you know, badges around your neck. Which was neat, but at the same time inconvenient. Personally, I like the badges. I don't know about anybody else that's attended comic book conventions, but or just conventions in general, but you like to save the badge. It's got your name on it, it says where it's from, it's got all the information about the convention on it, and you can you can save that for later and it's your badge. With that, when we take our little bracelet off that says Silicon Valley Comic Con, that can be anybody's bracelet. Yeah. It doesn't have your name on it, it doesn't have any shit on it, just kinda you know kind of impersonal I guess is uh, what I got from it you're a number you're a number with an RFID scanner so I didn't like that um, maybe some other people found it convenient I just didn't like it and uh, I mean maybe I don't know did you like it I fucking hated it but no I thought it was annoying so um, you know but that's everything we have to talk about for Saturday um you know, we posted uh, some photos up on our uh, on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash conversationalist um, from everything that we did Saturday. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or anything, um, you can uh, email us at thatconversationalist at gmail.com. Um, I'm Jesse, and this is Amanda. Bye. And we'll see you later. Bye. 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 <laughs>